Well, good morning, church. Uh, welcome to worship this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Ethan Magnus, uh, one of the pastors here. Super glad to be with you as we continue our series, Summer Playlist. Uh, this summer, we are looking at the hymn book of the Bible. Uh, the, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of our Bible, is a book of, of songs. Uh, it's hard to say, Psalms is songs, but it is. It's a book of songs there, every one a different reflection of God's people responding to God. Uh, some of the songs are happy, some of the songs are sad, and some of the songs are everywhere in between, but like all good songs, the songs of the Psalms help us learn to sing. They help us learn to pray. They help us learn to talk to God. So this summer, what we're doing is we're adding the Psalms to our summer playlist. Uh, last week, we looked at one of the greatest hits. We looked at Psalm 23. If you weren't here last week, uh, grab the CD, uh, pop that in the stereo there, add that to your summer playlist. And maybe you did the homework last week. Maybe you let yourself kind of sing that song a little bit last week. Find a way to read it or work it into your routine. I hope maybe you had an opportunity uh, to do that. And uh, Psalm 23, of course, is a, is a good example of the kind of psalm that we encounter most often. It's beautiful, it's lovely, it's upbeat, it, it contains hints of darkness, but it's surrounded by the sovereignty and goodness of God. Uh, but not all psalms are quite as pastoral, quite as beautiful as Psalm 23. There are, in the Bible, all kinds of psalms. There are psalms of praise about God, psalms of praise to God. There are psalms of history, psalms of celebration, psalms of confession, psalms of lament, psalms of bitterness, psalms of frustration. Some psalms are easy and fun. Go read Psalm 100. You just can't help but smile by the time you're through with Psalm 100. But some psalms are not easy. Some psalms are not fun. And today's psalm is in the not category. Uh, the psalm we're going to look at today is a, it's a testimony psalm. It, it, it's, it's, it's the psalmist is bearing witness to their own spiritual journey. And like all testimonies, some of it is easy to hear, but some of it isn't. In fact, most of this testimony is a hard testimony. You might even, halfway through the testimony, wonder, are we even allowed to talk like this to God? That happens to me sometimes when I read the Psalms. I'm halfway through reading it, and I'm just a, I feel a little blasphemous just reading the Bible. Are we even allowed to say these kinds of things to God? This Psalm takes us to some scary places. Places where we question the goodness of God. Places where doubt is found. But the places this psalm takes us are places most of us eventually go. If we're honest enough and brave enough, these places of question and doubt are places most of us eventually go. 
This song we'll look at today is a song for someone, for anyone who wants a relationship with God, who wants to be close to God, but who is honest enough to admit admit that in this world, there are plenty of reasons to doubt God. In this world, there's so much that doesn't make sense, so much evil that prospers, and so much good that withers. And when you have these kinds of questions, you you sometimes don't know what to do with these kinds of questions. Do you wander off in silence? Do you sit in the chaos? And worst of all, some of us think that when we have questions about the fairness and justice of our world, some of us think the one thing we can't do is take those questions to God. Maybe you've been in that place where all the songs you learned as children, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, all the songs you learned as a child, you just can't sing them anymore. Maybe you've been in that place where all the platitudes and all the easy answers that every Christian ever gave you for when times was hard, well, you just can't hear them anymore. If that's where you are or where you've been, what you need is a new song to sing. So today, let's learn one together. Psalm 73, the song for the frustrated, the song for the doubting, the song for the embittered, the song for the angry. Walter Brueggemann, who's a famous Old Testament dude, um, not as in he's not from the Old Testament, he studies the Old Testament, but anyways, he says whenever you read a psalm, You need to ask yourselves two questions. Who from the ancient world would have prayed this prayer? Would have sung this song? And you need to ask yourself, who today needs to learn this song? As we encounter this text together, I would encourage you to think about that question. Who today? needs to sing, needs to learn to sing Psalm 73. It starts out just the way a Christian song is supposed to. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So our psalmist here in Psalm 73 starts out saying just what he is or she is supposed to say. Saying just what is supposed to be true. Have you done that? When going through a hard time, somebody asks you how you're doing and you'll just respond instinctively, God is good. You don't mean it, but you say it because you're supposed to. God is good to the good people. The good guys always win. This is what we tell our children, right? If you behave, if you keep your nose to the grindstone, if you keep your head down and work hard, things will work out. That's where the psalmist starts. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The psalmist starts right where they're supposed to start. 
saying right what they're supposed to say, but then quickly, quickly, they tell us the truth. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was thinking about this text, remembering a couple summers ago we went uh, out and did some western parks. Actually, Mike did a bunch of California parks. We did Utah parks a couple summers ago. Evan and I were hiking a little trail near the edge of Mount Zion National Forest, and most of the trail was rather easy, relatively flat. There was a railing. Then there was this one little section of trail where you were just walking on the edge of this cliff on a kind of slanted rock. On one side of you was a rock wall. There was four feet of slanted smooth rock. And then there was a 4,000 foot drop. Probably not really 4,000, but definitely 2,000. I mean, it was a long way down. We were getting ready to walk across this section and I said to Evan, I said, hey Evan, just so you're clear on the rules of this next section of trail, if you slip, you die. You get that, right? That's the way these next 10 feet work. And he said, I get it, Dad. I said, okay, so what I'm telling you is you're not allowed to slip and you're not allowed to die. So we got back from the hike. I said, tell your mother what the two rules were. He says, my two rules were no slipping and no dying. Uh, right, that's it. But, but, but our friend here says my feet had almost slipped. I can just picture that scene. My feet had almost slipped, and if you slip, you die, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. They wear their pride like jewelry. And they get dressed up in violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. And look, everybody turns to them. Their people turn to them. People flock to these rich, evil people. They drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? What does God know anyway? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Walter Brueggemann says, when you read a psalm, you're supposed to ask two questions. Who in the ancient world would have sung this psalm? And the second question, which is like it, but more important, who today would sing this psalm? Do you recognize it? I envied the prosperity of the wicked. 
They've got no struggles. They're rich and healthy. They ignore God's law but pay no punishment. They're proud and they're proud of their pride. They get dressed up in all the ways they're cruel to others. They scoff and they speak anger and they're arrogant and they're dismissive and they oppress others. And still, people flock to them. People follow these fools and praise these cruel people. They ask, what does God know? Does God really know anything? Walter Brueggemann says, who would sing the song from the ancient world? Who would sing the song today? I talked to someone some months ago now who'd recently been left by their spouse. They said, Ethan, I know I'm not perfect. I know I have messed up in my marriage, but I have tried so hard to make my life work. I have tried so hard to obey God. I have tried so hard to raise my kids in the church, and then this happens. But I've got friends who gave up on church ages ago and gave up on God years ago, and their lives are fine. Who would sing this song? A teenager asks a parent, why do I have to obey these rules? You tell me God's rules for, for sexuality and God's rules for honesty and God's rules for integrity and God's rules for this. Why do I have to obey these rules? My friends don't obey these rules and their lives seem fine. It was a few years ago, I was talking to an acquaintance of mine. We were in a small group together. He was a salesman. He pulled me aside after we'd gotten to know each other a little bit. He says, I just want you to explain God to me. I was like, okay, well, we got 10 minutes. We can do this, sure. No. I said, what do you mean explain God to you? He says, it's not fair. I've been working at this job for 12 years. Everybody there makes more than I do because everybody there lies on the numbers they turn in. And so they get bigger commissions and bigger bonuses because they're lying about the number of calls they make and this and that. I turn in honest numbers every month and I make less. They cheat and they never get caught. Now you tell me again, why should I not cheat? Walter Brueggemann says, whenever you read a psalm, ask who would have sung the song and ask who would sing the song today. Verse 13. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new 
punishment. God, let me tell you something. It sort of feels like following you, God, has been a complete waste of time. That's what it feels like, God. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. It was a waste to try to stay innocent. And then in verse 15, he says the most interesting thing. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. What an interesting thing we learn from this song. He's angry with God. He's, He's bitter with how his life has worked out. He sees the injustice of the world where the wicked and the oppressor and the wealthy scoff at God and ignore purity and still everything works out fine. And the one thing he's pretty sure he can't do is talk about it. Um, I think that happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? Have you ever had that happen to you? Where the one true thing you feel about God is the one thing you think you're not allowed to say. And so you say all these fake things that you think you're supposed to say. That you like you were like walking through the Christian bookstore and you started memorizing bumper stickers just so you would know what to say when people talk to you. Because you knew you couldn't say the thing you really felt. You knew the thing you, could, you couldn't say the thing you really thought, so you, you figure, if I just memorize all the Christian bumper stickers, I'll just, I'll just fill in the blank with one of them. How do you feel? Like I'm going to give up? There's always tomorrow. That's what you say. How do you feel? Like God has betrayed me. God is good all the time. That's what you say. How do you feel? Like I wasted my life following God. God's ways are the best ways. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. One of the things I love about the Psalms is they open our lips for things we dare not speak. Psalm 73 reminds us that we are allowed to name the hard realities of life. Something happens to the church sometimes that we become the one place people can't tell the truth. You know, after work, you go with your friends, get a drink, you can tell them how bad things are, but you come to church on Sunday mornings, we're fine, we're fine, we're good, we're great, everything's fine. Why is it this is the one place we lie when everywhere else we'll admit that we're struggling? What I love about Psalm 73 is this is a person who's going to God with their crisis. And they name it. I would just say, church, if you know someone who is struggling with the goodness of God, if you know someone who is doubting the providence and care of God, please don't shut them down with a bumper sticker. Don't just cross-stitch the pillow to them. Read Psalm 73 and say, I know how you feel. I've been there once. It was awful. 
Give them the permission that God's word gives to you and to me to tell the truth to our God about how we feel. Verse 16, he goes on. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. This is his crisis. You see, he thought he knew how the world worked. That's verse 1. God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. He thought he knew how the world worked. But then it turns out he lives a little while and he doesn't know how the world works. You know? He says to God, God, I believe in you. I've tried to live for you. I've tried to follow your ways, but I'm not richer. I'm not stronger. I'm not sexier. I haven't gotten ahead in work. I don't have more power. My marriage isn't any better. What, this, this, this whole thing we had isn't working out, and I can't figure it out. And here's the thing I want to know. What I want you to reflect on is what do you do when life doesn't work the way you thought it did and you just can't figure it out? Do you deny it? Pretend everything's fine? Do you hide from your friends and neighbors so that they won't know there's a problem? Do you run away from God? Do you put on this fake facade of everything being perfect? Or do you do the one thing that will actually help, the one thing our psalmist is going to do? Do you run toward God with your chaos? That's, that's the thing I just want to tell you today. If you are singing so, the song of Psalm 73, looking at your life and saying to God, God, this is not the deal I thought I signed up for, and you're wondering what to do with that chaos, what you need to do with it is run toward God when I tried to understand all this when I tried to understand all this it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny you see, something happens to our understanding of life when we consider our lives in the presence of God. I would just say there's nothing more profoundly biblical you can do with your doubt and your pain and your anger and your frustration than take them to God. Don't hide your questions from God. Don't hide your frustration from God. Take it to God. Because it is in the presence of God that our psalmist sees that he has completely flipped things. He has completely misunderstood who in the scenario had it was on firm foundation and who was on a slippery slope. He couldn't get a foothold in this world, but what he discovers is that not having a foothold in this world is not the main place we need a foothold. Surely you place them on slippery ground they are the ones hiking along the edge of mount zion where the rules are if you slip you die surely you place them on slippery ground you cast them down to ruin how suddenly are they destroyed completely slept away by terrors they are like a dream when one awakes when you arise lord 
you will despise them as fantasies. Now, for the first time, the psalmist sees that those who have everything but don't have God have nothing. And those who have God but have nothing have everything. I was in college one time. I was a freshman, um, overwhelmed by the difficulty of the academic program I was in, just really struggling, trying to keep up with classes and make the grades I wanted to make. I was talking with a friend. He was a senior, brilliant student. He went on to be valedictorian, uh, also one of the very few Christians on campus. There weren't many Christians on my college campus. I was talking with him about my particular frustration and jealousy with a person we both knew. Uh, they, they were also a math major. We were both math majors. And I just was so jealous of this person. They were so smart. And they worked so little. They blew off study groups. And when we would do group projects, they never would do their part on time. And they would always coast in at the last minute. And just because they were such a crazy genius, they would get better grades than anybody else and blow the curve. And I just, I just had this growing, our first semester of college, I just, it was like all my frustrations and bitterness with my own poor performance in college got focused on this one guy. The other thing I couldn't stand about him was that when he was supposed to be studying for finals, I kid you not, the way he prepared for final exams was to go to the cafeteria and break in in the middle of the night and roller skate all night long. The night before our final exam. When all the rest of us were cramming, he roller skated all night long and got a perfect score. And we, I was just livid. And I was talking to this older guy, deeper in the faith than me. He said, Ethan, he has a math mind like none you'll ever meet. And he has roller skating. You have Jesus Christ. How can you be jealous of him? You have what he most needs. He only has what you want. Totally changed my mind. I could not understand, the psalmist says, until I thought about it in the presence of God and I recognized that what looks like such a firm foundation is in fact the slippery slope. And once he sees it, once he sees that he is the one standing on the solid faithfulness of his God, and it is, the, it, is the, it, is the, it is the wicked and the wealthy that he envies are the ones that are on the edge of ruin, he turns back to God. Oh God, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, when I was so upset, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He basically is saying to God, God, how could I be so stupid that I was envious of the finite pleasure of the wicked and the wealthy while you are promising me infinite peace? And then in the presence of God, he finds his footing. He is now refounded. 
not in the things of this world, but in God. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. I love that image. Notice, notice, be so clear on this. It is not that we hold God in our hand. It is that God holds us gripped tight to us. I remember the first time we went to an airport with our little boys. I was holding on to our youngest, and I was grabbing so tight. We finally got to the waiting area where we were going to sit down for the plane, and my hand was locked in this grip. Bryant finally reached up and said, Dad, um, do you think you can let go now? Because my hand really hurts. And sure enough, as I let go, his hand, his chubby little toddler hand, had been imprinted with my fingers. You could see where the, my wedding ring had dug into the side of his hand. I'd been gripping him so hard. That's what the psalmist promises God is doing with us. Always with you. Hold you. Hold me by my right hand. I love 24, verse 24. Look at the promise for today and the promise for tomorrow. You guide me with your counsel, and then you take me into glory. That is God's gift to us. Counsel today, glory forever. He concludes the psalm, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. Walter Brueggemann says, whenever you read a psalm, you need to ask yourself, who from the ancient world would have sung this song? And then ask yourself, who today needs to learn to sing it? My guess is that some of us need to learn psalm, to sing Psalm 73. Some of us are having the rude awakening that the simple truth, good things happen to good people, is in fact a lie. It isn't true. That God's sovereignty and goodness is operating on a different time scale, a different trajectory than the one of this world. Maybe the word you need to hear from this psalm so that you can sing it, and I just want to give this to you, maybe what you need to hear is the word Welcome. I just want you to know if you've got a struggle that you've been hiding from God and hiding from the church, hiding from your Sunday school class, hiding from your small group, I want you to know your struggle is welcome here. If we can read Psalm 73 aloud in church, we can handle whatever you've got to share. If you're mad at God, please tell somebody. If you feel like God let you down for a promise made, please share that. 
If you feel like your foot is slipping, your faith is about to leave you, you're having a crisis of doubt and understanding, tell somebody. Because the only way you will find peace for that is to bring it into the sanctuary of God. Go back and look at verse 17. Until I brought it to the sanctuary of God, I could not understand. I was lost in despair. So I just want to say, if, this, if Psalm 73 is your song, you are welcome here. Bring that. The second thing I want to say, the second reason you may need to pay attention to this song is a word of warning. It, see, in, in that story, it isn't just the psalmist who's confused during the first half. So are the people he's singing about. Those people who ask, does God really have anything to say? Does God really have anything to offer? Some of you are here because you're the psalmist, but some of you today are not the psalmist. Some of you are the people the psalmist sings about. You are the wealthy. You are those at ease. You are those who do evil and ignore God. Those who have built your foundation on this world and not on God. And, and like the psalmist, you may one day confront God and recognize you got it all backwards. True joy is not built on prosperity. It is built on the promises of God. And any life you build on the things you can obtain in this world is a life that is too fragile to last beyond the grave. There's a warning in this psalm if you read it rightly. The last thing I would say after a word of welcome and a word of warning is just a word of waiting. Part of the reason the psalmist is so lost and despairing is that we live the story we're in from the middle. And in the middle of a story, it always looks like the villain's going to win, doesn't it? That's the way stories work. In the middle of the story, it always looks like good will be lost and evil will triumph. That's the way stories work. And the middle of our story is no different. We're halfway through a story, and here at the halfway point, it seems like God tarries. Peter wrote to people who were singing Psalm 73, people who wondered, where was the justice of God for those who had kept themselves pure? That's why he writes, 2 Peter. He writes, where is the justice of God for those who have been faithful? And here's what Peter writes. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But nevertheless, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. As the psalmist says, if your foundation is built out of this life, you are in danger of slipping. 
But if your hand is in the hand of God, you have counsel for today and glory for tomorrow. Amen. Gracious God, we know this song. We know the doubt and fear and despair that can come into our lives when we see the injustice in our world, when we see the oppressor continue their oppression unchecked, when you see the scoffer mock you unstopped. And then in our lives, as we try to be faithful, we do not see what we'd hoped happen. We know that doubt, God. Give us the moment that the psalmist had where we bring our questions to you and see with clarity that you, God, are with us and you, God, are laying for our lives a foundation not built on this shaky earth, but firmly on your eternal purpose. Give us that faith and that strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.